Hi, you're listening to Panam, in which we discover some of Paris's forgotten, unusual, or buried stories. Today we're going to discover what giraffes, lions, elephants, revolution, and ancient Egyptian mummies all have in common. So let's go. Bastille. Bastille. I've come to the Place de la Bastille in the 11th arrondissement. When you hear the word Bastille, it brings to mind bloodshed and revolution. You might imagine the angry mobs storming the gates of the fortress that gives its name to this neighbourhood and expect at least something to remind us of the huge 14th century structure that once stood here originally to protect the Saint Antoine gate. However, Bastille is conspicuous in its absence. When you emerge from the metro, there's absolutely no sign of it. Instead, we see the huge modern opera building, which was built to commemorate the bicentenary of the revolution, but has little to do with the actual fortress. In the middle of the place, the green July column, with a gilded genie on the top, does remember a revolution, but not the one in which the Bastille played such a huge part. And above all, we can see and hear cars. Bastille's become a huge roundabout, and although people still gather here during celebrations or demonstrations, for most of the time it's inaccessible to pedestrians. Perhaps the mayor will change this with her plans to make Paris more pedestrian-friendly, but for the moment there's no such luck. Why was Bastille destroyed? Well, during the revolution of 1789, it became a hated symbol of the crown's power and authority, because although it started off as a fortress to protect Paris, it was transformed into a prison, where without trial, judge or jury, you could be locked up on the king's orders with a simple lettre cachée, a hidden letter. In this way, a number of famous inmates spent their time here, including Voltaire and the Marquise de Sade who apparently wrote his famous 120 Days of Sodom. So when the revolution started brewing and the people stormed the gates looking for gunpowder and released, probably to their surprise that there were so few, the seven prisoners that were inside, they went ahead and in a chilling foreshadowing of events that were to come, they decapitated the prison warden and put his head on a pike. The building was then soon demolished. Overseeing this was a man called Paloy. He ensured that nothing or nearly nothing was left behind. Some of the stones were used to build the new Concord Bridge, which is still here today. And some he turned into souvenirs, miniature fortresses, which he sold all over France. The people of Paris were also keen to grab a small little piece as a mento, and it didn't take, and it didn't take long for it to disappear. If you do want to see any remnants of the Bastille, it's probably best to head underground. While excavating the metro in 1889, a few stones from the eight towers that originally made up the Bastille were discovered. They were dismantled and transferred to a nearby park on Boulevard Henri IV. And, well, to be honest, they're rather underwhelming. On the platform of Line 5, you can still see some of the foundation stones, and they've also marked out on the floor where the walls once stood. Above ground, there's really not very much. You might look out for the markings on the Rue Saint-Antoine, which trace the outline of the fortress, and there's also a very discreet plaque on the wall that shows the layout. Interestingly, there is apparently a secret cachot or a dungeon that did manage to survive. It's hidden in the depths of the basement of the building, which is now number 47, Boulevard Henri IV, but unfortunately, we're not able to visit. So with the Bastille gone, Paris was left with some space to fill. Today, there is the July Column that remembers the revolution of 1830, but that only dates back to 1840. So what was here between the Bastille fortress disappearing and the July Column appearing? 
Fans of Victor Hugo's book Les Miserables might know the answer. The poor street urchin Gavroche is described as sleeping in an elephant. Gavroche may have been fictitious, but the elephant, unlikely as it seems, was not. It was the idea of Napoleon, who decided he needed a gigantic fountain to show off his military might in the form of a huge elephant, with water spouting from its trunk. He intended it to be made of bronze from enemy cannons. Sadly, the elephant was never completed and only a scale plaster model was made, which over the years crumbled and decayed and was finally torn down. Personally, I think a huge elephant in the middle of Paris would have been amazing, but no one asked me. It was replaced instead by the monument we have now. It's called the July Column because it remembers a revolution that took place in July 1830. The three glorious days, as they're known, are July the 27th, 28th and 29th. It's inscribed with the names of those who died in the revolution and, if you look closely, has a lion striding along the ledge. Not quite an elephant, but still not bad. On top of this huge structure of 47 metres is the genie, which represents liberty breaking its chains and flying free. However, we're not interested in the genie flying above the Bastille, but rather what lies beneath. In the beginning, I promised elephants, giraffes, lions, ancient mummies and revolution. Well, we've had the elephant, the lion, the revolution, but what are the giraffes and the mummies? Charles X was a big fan of all things Egyptian. And so in order to improve their relationship, the Viceroy of Egypt at the time, Mehmet Ali, offered him a number of unusual gifts. Most sensationally was the giraffe known as Zarafa, who after what we can only assume must have been a traumatic journey from Egypt to France, lands in Marseille where she winters and then walks all the way to Paris. She spends the next 18 years at the menagerie at the Jardin de Plantes. Her arrival in Paris caused a sensation and most of the city came out to see her. Women wore their hair piled up high on their heads, a la giraffe, and giraffe motifs became all the rage. Another gift to the king was the obelisk, which still stands at the Place de la Concorde. It's Paris's oldest monument at over 3,000 years old. And finally, he offered him some Egyptian mummies. Although accounts seem to differ as to whether the mummies that we're interested in were a gift to Charles X or whether they were stolen by Napoleon, it doesn't really matter, as their fate was the same. The fact that they were moved from their final resting place in Egypt to the damp, dark place that is the Louvre Museum and was much less accommodating meant that they started to rot and putrefy. It was a very undignified ending, so it was decided to bury them. A few years later, and revolution comes along. A few years later, in 1830, the revolution sees the king deposed. Bodies of the revolutionaries start piling up, and it being hot in July, it's decided to bury them as soon as possible. They're buried not far from the Louvre Museum, just like the aforementioned mummies. Once Louis-Philippe has finished his column, he decides to move those bodies of the revolutionaries who fought in the battle to bury them underneath. However, when they're dug up, no one seems to notice that a couple of extra cadavers, some maybe a little better preserved and a good deal older, hitch a ride. So this is how, when on the 28th of July 1840, with much pomp and circumstance, two Egyptian mummies, along with the bodies of the French revolutionaries, were buried under the Place de la Bastille and remain there to this day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For more information and to see some pictures, go to my website, panampodcast.com. Also find me on all the usual social media sites. I'd love to hear your thoughts and do feel free to let me know if there's any stories that you'd like me to cover. Panam is written and recorded by me with music from the owl. Links to her works in the show notes.
That's all for now. So take care of yourselves until next time. Bye-bye.